We come to the end of our study on Ephesians. Uh, no particular reason other than a logistical reason this morning, and that is this is my last six weeks in a row here at Estevan Alliance Church, and then I'm out of the picture for three, so we need to stop now, and then it's Christmas, and it just didn't seem right to carry things on into Christmas. So we're in the last part of our uh, study of Ephesians, and we've done it in very broad strokes and very wide swipes of, of uh, the sermon, if you will. But we're coming to two passages. If there's two passages in Ephesians that we're familiar with, it's the passage about husbands and wives, and it's the passage about spiritual warfare. And those are sort of part of this final concluding piece of our study on Ephesians. But I want to say to you right from the get-go, we're not going to spend a lot of time on either of those two things you're used to hearing about. And part of the reason is because there are other things that are actually technically, grammatically, uh, more important in how this all plays out and how Paul has shaped the letter and how he's formatted the letter. But what hap what's happened for us is we've kind of locked on those two things for a variety of reasons, whether it's the husband and wife theme. I'm going to leave that to David and Lisa to solve in their uh, uh, little four-part Bible study. Um, and the idea of spiritual warfare, that, actually even the spiritual warfare part we, we kind of have locked in on those couple of verses, and we miss the stuff that's around it. And so we want to spend some time sort of looking at, if you will, the rest of the story tonight. But the whole point has been, as we've moved from Ephesians chapter 3 to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that's around page 1078, page 1080 in your pew Bibles, if you want to turn to that, because we'll be landing in a few places there. Page 1078, I think, 1080 in there. Um, but since Ephesians chapter 4 has kicked in, it's about being imitators of God as beloved children. Uh, we sang this morning. What was the phrase? I wrote it down. Everyone will know it's you we follow. Well, how will they know that? Well, because they see the character of Jesus in us. That's how they know who we're following. They see Jesus. And so Ephesians chapter 5 has said, be imitators of God as beloved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us. Case in point this morning, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And last week we came up to this part in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talked about being filled with the Spirit. And how being filled with the Spirit is not just the content of the Spirit, but the way the Spirit wants us to live, the fruit of the Spirit, those characteristics that Trish was talking about to the boys and girls, that lived out of us, filling us up and coming out of us so that people will know it's Jesus we follow by our conduct, by our character, by our actions, to be filled with the Spirit. And the end of chapter 5, uh, the end of the part about the fruit of the Spirit, verse 18, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or excess. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I really wish our Bibles didn't have a subdivision there to separate those two. Because submitting to one another is part of the being filled with the Spirit. Singing and making melody in our hearts. Being grateful and thankful to God as we've sang this morning. Living lives of thankfulness. And submitting to one another is part of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. It's all part of that same sentence. It's all part of that same description. Being filled with the Spirit is expressed by being submissive to one another. 
being subject to one another. Now, before we talk about wives being subject to their husbands and wives being submissive to their husbands, let's talk about us as church members being submissive. Because the first part Paul addresses is to the church. Be subject to one another. Another way of expressing that would be what Jesus said in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. Ever been to a church meeting? First Ned meeting, board meeting? Um, two people have had a different view of what should be done. And all of a sudden, one of those persons says, you know what? Nah, not what I want to do. It's what you want to do. Ever been to any of those meetings? I haven't. I haven't. So let's, before we talk husband and wives and wives being submissive to your husbands, let's talk about what Paul says about being submissive and subject to one another. You've been at a meeting and somebody has an idea about, let's do this, and somebody else has another idea about, well, let's do it this way. And ever had the meeting finish up with somebody saying, well, no, I think let's go with your way. I don't need to go my way. Let's go with your way. Sorry, I never heard that said at a church meeting of any kind, planning meeting or anything I've been to. Or ideas shared around, it's kind of a brainstorming kind of moment. Maybe it's a, a VBS planning meeting and brainstorming ideas. And lots of good ideas floating around the table and somebody's had a very good idea, says, you know what? I think so-and-so has a very good idea. I defer to her idea. See, if, if we don't get that right, we won't understand what Paul's talking about to husbands and wives. This call to mutual submission. And it goes back to chapter 4 where Paul started this thing. You go back to chapter 4, verse 2. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And we said that bearing with one another in love means putting up with one another. Our idiosyncrasies, our quirks, our habits, our personality. Putting up with one another. Staying the course. Staying together. That's just so different. From my church experience, I don't know about your church experience, but that's so different from my church experience. If we can't figure it out as a church, how come all of a sudden we talk as if we've got it figured out for husbands and wives? That's why I say the wife-husband thing isn't the most important thing, because that spins out of being subject to one another. And as you know, when Paul talks to the wives, he uses the church as the role model, right? So spilling out of this, be filled with the Spirit, and how we express that, and what it looks like, and what it sounds like. Be submissive to one another out of reverence, respect, the fear of Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The church is a role model for the wife. It's interesting. 
as you go through this next little passage, Paul's going to address wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. Interesting that the first group of people he addresses, the women, children, and the slaves, there was an ongoing progression of value, diminishing value, in each of those groups of people in the Roman Empire in the first century. As you go down that list, from women to children to slaves, you go on a diminishing value list to the point where the slaves are just property. Slaves weren't people. Slaves were things. And as you know, there was some discretion that was always on the part of the father as to whether the baby would live or die, right? If the father wanted the baby. If it was a boy or a girl. Children weren't far up the ladder from slaves. And wives, just a little further up the ladder. But you know, you know how it worked in the in the Roman the rules of family life worked in the Roman era the rule and it, there's all kinds of Roman writings as to what was expected in, in Roman households. Basically, in the Roman world, in the world in which Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, in the Roman world, the rules of the home were basically whatever was good for dad was good for everybody. What made dad happy, what made dad comfortable, what was convenient for dad, what made dad look good. The rules of the home sort of all revolved around what was good for dad. About a month ago, I was struck by how it was basically related to one occasion. One occasion a number of years ago when the situation came up and my answer was no. Didn't think it through, it said no. And it's a decision I've regretted and it's an answer I've regretted. But all of a sudden it struck me about a month ago that what happened in that decision was exactly this. The rule, the rule I ran with was what's convenient, what's comfortable, what's good for me, not what was good. And I mean, that's just basic selfishness, right? But for some reason, about a month ago, it clicked in, and it has a lot to do with my grandkids. This is the second Sunday we've had our grandkids here. Last Sunday, it was our grandson from Regina, and the Sunday of um, these two guys are four, and Finn's almost seven. But it's much easier to bring one grandson on a road trip than it is to bring two grandsons on a road trip. And I was thinking about, I mean, I love what you guys do. In I mean, I've never seen anything like that. And, and for me to be able to put my grandkids in the car with Sharon and I and to make the two-hour trip, which is not a trip in terms of a road trip, but to make the trip to Estevan for our kids to see that because our kids don't have a lot of churches. Our grandkids don't have a lot of churches. But then my first thought was, yeah, I can handle one. I'm not sure about two. I'm not sure about two. But all of a sudden, it kind of clicked. And this previous decision, three years ago, four years ago, was brought home to me, and this whole idea of dad in the Roman world 
what was convenient for dad, what made life work for dad. And I just knew, I just knew, I didn't hear a voice. I, there was, I don't know, it was just, I knew what I needed to do. And I knew if I was bringing the one grandson, I needed to bring the two grandsons, no matter what. If I wasn't going to get any sleep the night before in the hotel room, I wasn't going to get any sleep the night before. If I had to crunch this week to make sure the sermon was done by Friday night before the boys came, yeah, after the boys came Friday night. So I was like, okay, let's lose it for a little bit. Get the sermon done by Friday morning, so I was ready to go and not having that added added pressure. Anyway. Just a moment. It was just a moment, and it's just all of a sudden, wow. I know that's not how it's supposed to be. And as Paul's writing this, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, saying, dads, husbands, fathers, masters, this is not how it works in God's world. And it's interesting. As, as this, the wives are asked to submit to the men, it's sort of a, and it's in the context of a mutual submission, it, it's common in the church family because we submit to one another, so submission isn't weird in the household because that's how the church is, is to function. That's a two-way street. But what the husbands are called upon to do is a one-way street. Keep reading. Verse 29. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Love is a one-way street, right? There is no guarantee when you give love, you will get love. How many people do we know have heard the message of the love of Christ and said, not for me. Love it. So I, I think we need to see the context in which we, we frame these things. And I'm not out to change your thinking about the role of husbands and wives. That's, I'm not going to try. I mean, how can I do that in a couple minutes or you have your convictions, your ideas, your views, and your beliefs of roles of husband and wives. I mean, the alliance within the alliance umbrella, right? We have room for, for churches that have female elders and female pastors and churches that don't. And, and to live within that, those views. And, and that's the, the freedom we have as a denomination, as a church family, and as a family of churches. But no, I'm not, I'm not out to change what you think about me. Whether to make you agree with me or to uh, disagree with me. That's not the point. It was interesting that we talked earlier about the importance of Ephesians chapter 2 and how Jews and Gentiles and how the two uh, groups became one new being, one new entity, one new uh, person, if you will, one body. In Jesus Christ, and you know, Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5, about husband and wife, how two become one. It's not the first time in this letter Paul has talked about two becoming one. And he talks to children, addresses the children first again, and talks to the parents. Encourages the fathers not to stir up their children to exasperation or anger. There, we talked about anger before. There's a thread that runs through Paul's letter about anger and the downside of anger. And to the avoidance of anger and the reality of anger, but fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. And then there's the slave and master thing, right? And um, 
when we were finished up at Kindersley, we did a, a one-week study on the book of Philemon. One of my conclusions after after studying Philemon and, and speaking on Paul's letter to Philemon was, how many awkward moments did this create for a, for a master who is a Christian and a slave who is a Christian? And the world in which they lived at that time. And yet at the same time, right, that's the group of people that Paul is saying, be subject to one another. Be submissive to one another. That's the group in the church. There is the slave and there's the master. Chapter 4, Paul had said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We all need to live wisely, not foolishly. We need to live as people of the light, not people of the darkness. We need to live as a new creation, not as the same old thing that everybody has already seen before. Prayer is, God, fill us. So in the final section, in chapter 6, we pick it up at verse 10. This is sort of Paul's finale of the letter. And, and again, most... A part of this is very familiar. What we're not maybe familiar with is the main part. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Our fight, our battle, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. It's not against other religions. It's not against other nationalities. Our fight as believers is against these unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It's against supernatural things. Yes, they may influence systems, and yes, they may influence government, and yes, they may influence people, but that's not who we're fighting against. And I've heard it said numerous times with the disclaimer, well, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. We're not fighting flesh and blood, but that's the face we give. We give the enemy a face. We give the enemy a body. The war is not against people. Not against flesh and blood. No matter what they believe, the enemy is not people. And Paul gives four descriptions of our enemies. They are supernatural forces in the heavenly realms, the invisible. And they influence the world through people and through systems. But the enemy is not people. The enemy, I dare say, of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted is not the soldier who comes to the door with a gun. And there's often been testimony to that end, right? If you followed international... I think I've almost followed international prayer from the day it started 25 so years ago. But see, Paul is calling his readers to change their way of thinking, to see things, to see people the way God sees them. To see things, to see people the way God sees them. And then he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you will be able to stand, to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, verse 14, stand firm. This is about standing. This is about standing firm. This is about 
standing to post next week is Remembrance Day. I can get my coffee on my shirt on the coat. But next week's Remembrance Day. But that whole military image of standing to post, doing your duty, defending, right? Because the because the weapons we're given are not offensive weapons. They're not attack weapons. They're defensive weapons. They're defensive weapons to stand, to hold our ground, to be strong in the Lord. And they're not about attack because attack would be what? Attack mode would be people. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, the um, body armor, if you will, would be a modern translation of that. With your body armor of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the gospel of peace as a firm footing, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. All those weapons are gifts from God. All those weapons Paul's talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, those are things God has given us. They're already there. Peter puts it this way. He has given us everything necessary for life and godliness. They're there. They're part of the fullness and the riches that God has lavished upon the followers of Jesus, upon the children of God who become children of God through Jesus. They are there. They are part of your repertoire, if you will, as a follower of Jesus. And to be filled with the Spirit is to allow those gifts to take their rightful place in your own. But they are gifts. They're not something that we can drum up. They're not something we can develop. They're not something we earn. They are just there. And it's up to us to put them on, just as Paul said earlier in chapter 4 about putting on Christ. Choice, it's a decision you and I have to make. Protective gear. To hold our ground. I dare say in the background of Ephesians, right? It's far easier to hold your ground together than it is to hold your ground individually whole point of Ephesians, right, has been about working together, understanding that we are the body of Christ. We are in this together. This is how God has shaped us and formed us. This is his plan to show the world that Jew and Gentile coming together in the body of Christ is the way God does things. As we gather around the communion table in just a few moments, those gifts of God the good news of the truth that is in Jesus, the good news of righteousness that is his, not ours, the good news of peace that passes all understanding, the good news of faith that shields us, the good news of our salvation that sets us free, and the good news of the Spirit who indwells us, and the gift of the Word of God that helps us understand what God is up to. And how do you hold your ground? While well, you pray. Verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I read that. that I go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Go back to Ephesians because Paul's talked about prayer a couple times here. And we kind of just skipped over them because I knew where I was going to go at the end. But we kind of skipped those prayers. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 for a minute. Ephesians chapter 1. 
This is Paul's first prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read prayers in the Bible, my question is, do they, do my prayers look like these prayers? So I ask you, do your prayers sound like Paul's prayer? Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have never stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of... So, right from the get-go, Paul has been praying that the Holy Spirit would fill the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. I keep asking that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. And that all comes out of Paul's opening introduction about all the wonderful things God has done for us, reminding us of all the great things. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given to me. For all you've done in my life. Thank you. That's Paul's prayer for them. And his incomparably great power to us who believe. And then, actually, Paul sort of goes from his prayer to explaining what that power is. The power is like the working of his mighty strength. That sounds just like Ephesians 6. Stand strong in the strength of the Lord. That's where he gets it, right? It links. It's connected. It's bridged. So that's the first prayer. The second prayer of Paul in Ephesians is a little more familiar. Go to chapter 3. There's a prayer in chapter 1, there's a prayer in chapter 3, and guess what? There's a prayer in chapter 6. Guess what holds everything Paul says together? Answer his prayer. 3.14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family of believers in heaven and on earth Maybe this morning you've got a better sense of the whole family of believers this morning. In North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Sudan, in Pakistan, in Eritrea, in Libya, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Iran, in India, in Bahrain, in Colombia, in Djibouti. I pray that out of his glorious riches, this is his prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, his gifts that he has lavished upon us, he may, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being, inside, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, let me say this. I know the debate these days is about truth. Truth does not trump love. In fact, John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. And we either need to figure out how to do both at the same time, or we need to recognize grace does be That's why those songs this morning were so important. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, as your foundation, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
what does being filled with God look like? You Christians are full of God. <laughs> That's what we want, isn't it? We want. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think, according to his power that's at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's prayer number two. Now let's go to chapter six for prayer number three. After all those big picture prayers, it finally gets personal. It finally gets individual. Chapter six, verse 19. After Paul's told the result of putting on the armor of God is so that before he talked about it, talked about standing firm. And now after he talks about praying, praying and standing firm have to do with something, uh, have some significance in the two outcomes, right? I think. Then finally, Paul says, 19, pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make, because Paul's in prison, right? There are varying degrees of prison. Probably didn't have a soldier at the door in this kind of prison. It was kind of a, a house arrest, maybe a little more like uh, he was in. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel being that God has shown, here's how I do things now. Jew and Gentile together, in one body, we call it the church. That you may know, sorry, mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know what I notice in prayers of persecuted Christians? I don't rarely, I don't, I don't remember, you know, given my age, that's probably not something to take from the bank, but I don't remember ever hearing any of these persecuted Christians say, pray that I get out of this life. Pray that I am set free. Pray that I am not killed. I just don't remember. And I don't hear Paul saying, Pray that I get out of this prison, probably in Caesarea. Pray that they set me free so I can do more missionary work. I just don't hear that. I think that just simply reminds me. I don't think it's wrong to pray for safety. I don't think it's wrong to pray for getting released from the thing that is, is enslaving us or, or has captured us. How evil, how dark. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. But I think it's worlds apart, isn't it? How much more we have to learn. How much further we have to grow. No get me out of here card. No get out of jail free card. In 25 years of listening to testimonies on the International Day of Prayer for the Presbyterian Church. And so after Paul has that prayer, he tells them a couple, couple plans. Tychicus. My dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing, how I am and how I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. So Tychicus is kind of a living example of what Paul wants them to do for one another. He'd probably just be better off with Tychicus with him. It would be much more comforting, much more soothing. But he's sending him to Ephesus from Caesarea across the Mediterranean, sort of heading northwest, across the Mediterranean to Ephesus. I would much rather have him with him, but he says, no, you, you guys need him more than I do. And finally he says, peace to the brothers. Conclusion is important. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love.
Now there's a phrase to take home. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. Because people in Ephesus forgot about him. In fact, the letter was written 30 or 40 years later to the church at Ephesus. These are the words that were written to that church. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from his place, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of a cult known as the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Paul's closing challenge, Paul's closing invitation is to all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. We can have a very clean house. We can make sure all our T's are crossed and our I's are dotted. But if we don't have love, we have And I like what I hear about Esteban Alliance Church. I like about hearing how people have stated Esteban Alliance Church because of the love and the care they've received. It doesn't stop there. To all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. We gather around the communion table this morning. I invite anyone who has come in a place to a place in their lives where they realize that in Jesus, they saw something. In Jesus, in the words of John chapter 1, that you have beheld his glory, glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the communion service this morning is for you, whether you're uh, a member uh, a regular attender at Estevan Alliance Church, if you're guests or visitors with us this morning. And you've given your life to Jesus. Now, you may be, not be at the point, I don't know that any of us are at that point at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Leonard Sweet once said, we all have a lot to learn, we all have a long way to go. That's our goal, right? Love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. And people will know who we follow. That's your prayer. That's your desire this morning. I invite you to join with us as we distribute the bread. And then a few moments later, we'll distribute the cup. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to the platform. And those who are serving communion with me to join me in the front. Let's just pause for a few moments as we...
as we gather here at the front and reflect on what the Lord is saying to us this morning.